Jesus be near me Be near me Jesus be near me Welcome to another episode of Religionless Church. I'm your pretentious and sophomore host, Mason Meniga. In this episode, I talk with Tyler Stanley. Tyler is a co-founder of Patristics Press, co-host of Podcastica Patristica, and an author. Also musically featured throughout this episode is The Chairman Dances. The Chairman Dances is an indie and folk group from Philadelphia. You can get connected with both Tyler and The Chairman Dances and their work in the links in the episode description. Note as well that there was a technical error made by yours truly after the recording of this episode. Therefore, I had to re-record my questions after the interview. So if the interview sounds a bit clunky at times, that is why. Thank you for your understanding. In the links in the description, you will also find my website, masonmeninga.com, where you can find more of my work, including some articles and papers I write, other religionless church episodes, and ways to connect with me via social media. If religionless church matters to you, there are two ways you can support. First, give the podcast a rating and a review. This not only offers thoughts and evaluations to others considering listening to the podcast, but it also informs me upon what to improve with the podcast. The second way to support is to become a patron of my Patreon page. Patreon is a service where supporters financially support creators. With currently three different tiers varying from $1 to $10 a month, you receive respective rewards for supporting my work. Rewards include papers I write, upcoming Religionless Church episode previews, lectures I create, and much more. The links to connect to and support me and my work, including my Patreon page, are all in the episode description. I no longer wish to be your object cause of desire, as I, with my begging rambling, prevent you from your object of desire of this awaiting episode. Therefore, here it is, Religionless Church. Today we have Tyler Stanley. Tyler is a co-founder of a publisher and also a co-host of a podcast and also just recently wrote a book called The Separation of Church and Estate, Capitalism and the Christian Conscious. So Tyler does many things in the world, but Tyler, I'm curious, who is Tyler Stanley to Tyler Stanley? Mm, That's a good question that I don't ask myself enough. Um, I'd say, um, first and foremost, to give you the cheesy but true answer, I consider myself a follower of Christ. Um, so, uh, 
other than that, I am a husband to Kelly and a father to Oliver and Winston, which are cats, our two cats. And uh, yeah, that's that's me. I guess those are the that's the role that I play in life. Uh, I get absolutely. <laughs> No capitalists allowed in my house. Just kidding. What unexpected surprise learning happened as you wrote the separation of church and estate, capitalism, and the Christian conscious? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there was a lot, um, but maybe one of the more interesting ones, this may be common knowledge, but it wasn't to me, is how... uh, how radical Helen Keller was. Um, I have a little, yeah, I, I had no idea. And when I realized that she was a pretty radical figure, I thought that is so awesome. Um, yeah. So that, that'd probably be up there in the surprises that I got, the pleasant surprises. There were uh, unpleasant surprises because a lot of the book deals with tragedies and tragic circumstances in the world. So there were some pretty surprising, uh, horrific things, but uh, I'll stay on the positive side and say Helen Keller's awesome. Yeah, I noticed that throughout the book, you have short chapters on different figures throughout Christian history who were explicitly anti-capitalist or were potentially anti-capitalist. Can you talk a little bit more about why you did that? So in between every chapter, I have just a little tiny snippet of um, a particular Christian uh, anti-capitalist figure that everyone should be familiar with. Um, And so I was just looking for uh, anyone that I thought people would recognize and already appreciate. Um, So because part of the book is trying to say, like, this isn't uh, being anti-capitalist isn't out of bounds for Christianity. People that you know and love have been anti-capitalists. And so that's how, you know, just looking for figures that people would would recognize. Uh, Yeah. What is something you learned about yourself as you wrote the book? Mm. Probably uh, I'm a slower writer than I thought I was. Uh, it took it took longer than I expected. I had all the plans laid out. I knew what I needed to get, but I tend to go down the footnote rabbit trail and just, you know, find a footnote, chase that footnote and read all the footnotes in that book and chase all of them. So I'm a a slower writer than I would have liked to admit. But, uh, but another thing I discovered is that like, I can do this. I wrote a book, I finished it. I, I actually have this in me, which is nice. What was it like for you when you finally held that finished product? You know, that book that it is bound, it's got pages, you can see the font and the prints and, you know, it's just a completed work. What was that 
to for you to feel that um, holding that in your hand for the first time? Yeah, yeah, it was really it was really great. Um, which actually, uh, I physically made the book because um, the press that it's published through is an independent publishing house that I started with some friends, and uh, we structured our business in a socialist way uh, that we thought was most ethical. So I got to put it to like, not only were the words mine, but the actual physical thing itself was something that I did, which is, um, you know, which is part of that uh, experience that I really enjoyed. Yeah. I admittedly am not as well versed as I'd like to be about non-capitalistic economic systems. One argument for capitalism I often hear is that it's clear cut that capitalism is a system that is about freedom, while systems such as communism or socialism are about authoritative government control. What is the Christian response to a claim like that? Yeah, um, so... I, ostensibly capitalism is about freedom and it's coming out of the liberal and I don't mean that derogatorily that's classical liberal uh, modernism uh, it's coming from the philosophical foundations there um, and the idea is that you should be able to you know start your own business do what you want with the money um, you should be free to sell and buy to and from whoever you like but the problem is that freedom only exists for the person who owns the business, who owns the means of production. Um, so the employees are not free. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm, we're all, we've all been employees, our employees. So we know, um, you know, eight hours of our day, you know, if you work a full-time job, at least eight hours of your day are given to someone else who tells you what to do with all of your time. And then, uh, when you, um, like, especially in the age of uh, social media, the digital age, uh, like, I have to be careful what I post on Facebook or Twitter because I worry about future jobs or, you know, my job now. Like, if I'm too radical or if I say too many cuss words, am I going to not be hired at a Christian institution if I apply to one one day? So I'm not free to express myself. Um, when I get home from work, I'm typically, you know, pretty tired. Uh, so I need time to eat, time to relax. Um, before you know it, it's time for bed. And the reason I sleep is so that I can have energy to go make other people money at my job, um, to make my boss richer than they already are, um, and get myself barely a living wage in the process. Um, so throughout the week, I only have a couple hours of freedom. Um, and I don't think that's very um, in line with the desires of the liberal tradition of true freedom. Um, but under capitalism, I don't see how it's in, I don't see how we can escape this system of uh, just completely consuming people and making them into um, kind of pawns uh, that that just exists to make things for other people to get rich off of. You touch on human nature. Capitalism assumes that humans are self-interested and that self-interest can create a just society. What is the Christian response to a claim like that? So self-interest is 
a really tricky topic, especially for Christians, because on the one hand, we do need to eat, we need to sleep, take care of ourselves, be healthy. Um, so yes, we do need to um, take care of ourselves, but the gospel, you know, Jesus's message was explicitly that we care for others as ourselves, um, that we don't care about, we don't put ourselves above others. I mean, Jesus came to, sh- to demonstrate what it means to be self-sacrificial. And the capitalist system says, um, in order for the world to function, you have to care about yourself. And in caring about yourself, others will be cared for as kind of a byproduct of that. And I think that's pretty explicitly against what Jesus says, which is like, give up yourself and care for others. Um, So the question is, can capitalism be a system in which care for others is prioritized above care for self? And the system itself, like it's in its own inherent logic, uh, it can't work if you're following Jesus's words that says others are, you know, care for others as yourself and and the self-sacrificial life that we are called to live. Why is it that capitalists believe that self-interest does allow for somebody to create a more just society or a more just world? Um, I guess that that question is more of an internal and personal question as to what are your motivations for caring for other people. Um, And so when it comes to the actual real economy that we set up for ourselves as a state or nation, um, what attributes, what virtues do we want people to express? If we want it to be care for others, then I don't think we can say, I don't think we can accept capitalism if we want to say, we want to instill the virtue of uh, care for others. Uh, And I just, I mean, our system explicitly says we want to instill the virtue of selfishness. That's what Ayn Rand called it, was the virtue of selfishness. Um, So, again, that that question would be more, if your motivations for caring for others are wrong, that's a personal issue. As a society, at least others are being taken care of. You note in your book Oscar Romero's frustration with both capitalism and communism. What is it about both systems that frustrated him in his seek for liberation of Latin America? Um, I imagine with communism, now I'm not as familiar with um, like how communism was interacting with uh, his particular nation. And, how, and um, I know in South America, you had uh, obvious communist revolutions going on in like Cuba and stuff. But um, so he, I, I imagine that it was the more authoritarian structures of communism that he was observing um, and and the more violent um, factions of communism seeking violent revolution. Even within his own country, uh, there were a lot of radical groups that were saying we have to act violently in order to relieve ourselves from the yoke of oppression. And he was not a violent person. Um, so, yeah. How is it that capitalism affected the context in which Oscar Romero lived and worked? 
I really, I think it was mostly American meddling in, um, in his country where, uh, like corporations from America kind of had vested interest in who was set up as the leader. Um, and there was, uh, as America does, they were screwing with other people's economies and countries. Um, but also like, you know, I don't know if you've seen the biopic of Oscar Romero. Um, I don't remember the, the actor. It's a fairly low budget film, but it's, it's, it's pretty good. You should check it out if you like Romero. Um, there's this scene where he walks to the garbage dump where people are living, and there's you know literally a dead body in the garbage dump. And these people are so poor that they are living in garbage, trying to eat from the garbage. And on the other side of that, you have the wealthy elites who are you know, cozying up to the political leaders. And I think he just sees this disconnect between uh, church leaders and uh, business leaders and the um, political leaders that are all in bed with each other and the poor are literally dying from starvation. Um, and so it was just all of the, um, the powers working against the people. Another claim often made by capitalists is that innovation and invention would be suffocated by a non-capitalist system, such as communism or socialism. What is the Christian response to that claim? Um, I would point to, um, for one thing, medical science, and for another thing, just uh, technology uh, in general. So medical science suffers extremely under privatized um, uh, role. Basically, you have, you know, a, a way to, uh, to cure or treat a disease or problem. And if you hide the, um, the way to cure it, then other people have to either, you know, trial and error, take their time to try and figure out how to cure this problem. Um, uh, or, you know, that, that leads to more people suffering. And so what, what medical, um, in some cases, what has happened in the medical field is that they will, uh, doctors and researchers will make it open source their studies so that each, so that all the people can come together and build something better. And so that someone with a different perspective can come in and say, oh no, that's not going to work. Here's a more efficient way to solve that problem. Um, and so by privatizing it and making it a run to compete so that, you know, whoever gets this innovation quicker gets more money, people are suffering. The product is going to be uh, harmed. Um, or it's not going to be as good as it could be. And then with technology itself, I mean, uh, you and I are communicating over a pretty far distance over the Internet. The Internet was developed by the U.S. government. Um, using taxpayer money, you and I, um, well, more our parents and their parents, paid for the development of the internet. Same thing with radio. The iPhone that we use, you know, uh, was developed at MIT, um, and which is a state school. All of these technological advances are uh, mostly thanks to U.S. taxpayer money. Um, and I'd say technology is pretty cool. <laughs> Throughout the book, you mentioned the goal of capitalism is not profits, but capital, with the natural world being the final frontier of capital. 
How is it that capitalism has contributed to the environmental crisis in which we find ourselves? Yeah, so first, just for anyone who might not know the difference between profit and capital, um, profit is the uh, extra money that a company gets for the products that it sells. So, you know, it, it costs two cents to make a pen, you sell it for $2, you've got a pretty good profit there. After, even after you've paid your employees for making the pen, you've got a profit. Um, capital is whenever that money is taken and put back into the cycle of making more pens or expanding into making, I don't know, pencils. Um, so capital's goal, ca capitalism is how, how you take your profits and put it back into the system to make even more profits that will put back into the system and make even more. And it just grows and grows and grows exponentially. Um, and so what the problem you have there is that you have to keep expanding. You have to keep uh, building. You have to keep hiring laborers. And, um, and there's a whole other section in the book that talks about how capitalism treats the worker um, and, uh, and exploits their labor. But so the problem we have is um, we are expanding, cutting down forests, polluting um, our water sources and our air, um, which is harming the human body, which is destroying animal habitat. And, you know, like, I mean, one of the first things God tells humanity in, you know, according to the creation story in the Bible is take care of this place. And capitalism, because of its very design, because it is designed to expand without end, there is no stopping point for capitalism. Um, you just keep going. Um, and so I think um, we are learning the very unfortunate um, uh, way this story might end if we keep expanding like this and it's directly against like the first thing god told us to do um so uh yeah How does capitalism intertwine itself with race? This is this is a difficult um, issue to address because uh, you had slavery of of uh, African people uh, in the U.S. Um, before the system fully took on what what we might call capitalism. So it started with slavery, and then we you know. Uh, Rich people got rich off of the backs of slaves and then uh, used the money that they got from those slaves to build massive corporations. And then they made their money off of um, wage laborers. So the question is kind of the chicken and the egg question. Um, you know, did slave can slavery exist without capitalism, which came first um, uh, in terms of how the American economy kind of worked itself out. But but what I'd say is um, Malcolm X has this famous quote that uh, you cannot have, and I'm paraphrasing, you cannot have capitalism without slavery. 
um, that he says capitalism is inherently and unavoidably racist. Um, did I say slavery in the Malcolm X quote? I meant, I meant racism. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that analysis, but I do think that capitalism, the way it's structured, benefits so heavily from racism. Because what capitalism does is, uh, the capitalist's goal is to find the cheapest workers possible. They want to pay people as little as they can and get as much work out of them as they can. Um, it's just a basic numbers game. And so what they do is they find um, the most uh, vulnerable groups. And I'm not saying that like all capitalists or even most capitalists uh, have this, you know, like, uh, let's find the vulnerable people. Let's find the black people and put them down. It's, it's just built into the system. You look for the cheapest labor and it happens to be recently freed slaves. Um, uh, you know, right after uh, emancipation. So then they start hiring, uh, you know, then you get into sharecropping, which of course extends beyond uh, black people, but it's mostly harming black people. And then in the great migration, whenever black people moved from the South, those who could escape from uh, um, the, you know, being forced back to work the fields in the South, those that were able to escape fled to the North. And then in the North, you had the um, industrial titans basically say look at all these people desperate for work we don't need to hire these white people who have always lived up here let's just hire the black people because they're desperate we can pay them much less and then the effects of that have just rippled i mean it's not much better today um we especially if we count the prison system which uh, michelle alexander's new jim crow details that just extraordinarily well how the system benefits from uh, incarcerating black people, putting them in a system where they'll just, you know, the recidivism rates are so high, they just keep getting right back into prison. And they are free labor for prisons. Um, and I talk about a few of the co companies like McDonald's and Boeing, who uh, use prison labor, because it's cheap. Um, and then that expands to other areas of the economy, like the housing market, like uh, lending, payday lending is one of the most exploitative schemes. It's, it's a, it's just, awful and it targets black communities um, because they've already been pushed to the margins and so i i wouldn't say capitalism is inherently racist i would say that it's inherently exploitative and if it can find the most vulnerable people it will naturally latch on to them as means of cheap labor as i said earlier i'm not as well versed in non-capitalist systems as i would like to be but one argument I often hear from capitalists in regards to communism and socialism is that we've tried socialism throughout the world. Look at Soviet Russia, look at China, look at Cuba. And their argument is, look at what happened there, right? Many, many people have been killed. Many rights have been violated. What's the difference between that sort of socialism and that sort of communism versus the communism that I hear you may be advocating or the socialism that you might be advocating for in this book. Yeah. So um, just as an aside, the book, um, the book isn't meant to promote any of the, any either socialism or communism. And I will, I'll answer your question, but I just wanted to say for people who might want to read it, um, I'm not advocating for anything. I'm simply deconstructing 
And then, but I am uh, unashamedly socialist. I wouldn't consider myself a communist, though I'm open to it. Um, so to actually answer your question, um, it's the, the, I have the same answer that I'm sure that pro-capitalists find infuriating is that that's not real socialism. That's not real communism. I mean, so, so socialism is about uh, worker, um, worker control of the means of production. If it's an authoritarian system, that means that the workers don't control it. So by definition, it's not socialism. With communism, communism is, uh, the definition of communism is stateless, moneyless, and classless. Uh, China is a state. Cuba is a state. Russia was a state, or you know, the Soviet Union was a state. Um, so they weren't communist. Um, so that I, I don't know any other way than just to say those aren't real examples. And, and, then, and then to point out like, you know, and I, I know this is another answer that pro-capitalist won't particularly like, but like Scandinavian countries are on the spectrum uh, socialist. Like if we were to compare them, you know, on the spectrum between capitalism and socialism, they would so, so much further, uh, be further away from capitalism than socialism. So, and they, they seem to be doing pretty good, both in terms of, yeah, both in terms of, like, uh, their their economies and in terms of human well-being. I mean, Denmark is considered the happiest country in the world by people who research human happiness. Uh, so, I mean, that sounds good to me. A soldier tied himself to a tree and a poet once sang his way past blackest seas He went waiting, home, home You're alive Today we have the the front man, I believe, your front man, right, of of the chairman dances? I stand in front. You, st- you stand in front. Uh, you're the front man, and it's Eric uh, of the of the chairman dances. And um, I-, I have to confess, I don't know if you actually know this, but the chairman dances have actually been featured on Religionless Church before. Um, I don't know if you knew Luke gave me permission to do that, but uh, um, they have. You you all have been. Featured on here before, uh, we certainly played the Diedrich Bonhoeffer song. Uh, I think we had the Dorothy Day song, and I want to say the the Augustine song was on there as well. So um, I, I, I thought it know, was really and great. I'm, I'm happy. It was so. it was great. I, I I love your music. So you, you sort of have this folksier sound, some indie elements, um, and uh, yeah. But you all are releasing a new album here soon, um, or have already released it. Um, and yeah, like, let tell me about the new album. How did uh, how did this sort of album come to be? Sure. Uh, so yes, our record it came out. Let's see, September seventh. So it's still very new. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Child of My Sorrow. Um, unlike our last record, uh, there isn't sort of um, a theme present in the way that that was sort of right told from an autobiographical standpoint, usually about uh, these saints, uh, lowercase s. Uh, this one is more, uh, I guess, it's sort of like a collection of short stories. I wrote them in a different way. They're still very personal. I still consider them to be uh, very 
you know, religious mm-hmm. and it's racial, but I think that's in all art, even by people who right. are religious. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm very, very pleased with it. I, uh, we just got back in the middle of the night last night from, uh, from four, four day, just short tour. Mm-hmm. So if I'm incoherent, apologies, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very pleased. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the, the sort of dialogue I've gotten to have with you here now and other people. That's a really fun thing to hear what they think about the music and yeah. what, what they glean from it or et cetera. Yeah. So I, like you mentioned before, the last album sort of focused around religious figures um, throughout Christian history um, and even some non uh, or some non-Christian um, figures as well. I think you had a song about Gandhi as well, right? My remembering no. right? No, you don't no. have a song about Gandhi. It's what okay. did I think about? No, I thought I did actually think about uh, not not Gandhi, but uh, incorporating other people. Because I, re- I mean, there's a lot of other theologians that are such as Heschel. They're usually, you know, my tradition is, you know, Christian or mm-hmm. Judeo Christianity. But I thought it might be a little too delving into something like exoticism if I right went outside the bounds, uh, so to speak. And there's just, you know, there's plenty of. Uh, incredible Christians and Christian history that I will never know and, and right. with a life of study. So it's okay to narrow the focus. Yeah, yeah. that's great. So uh, nonetheless, uh, you, you focused on these religious figures and, and you mentioned uh, just briefly that there, there still are religious and theological themes in this new album, despite it not you know being a concept album of religious figures and religious right. themes what what are some of those religious themes and theological themes that y- you found yourself exploring in this new album sure so i would say the one that's uh sort of jumps out i think is just the the title track which is the last song of the album child of my sorrow that one it's interesting i had written it and like with these other songs i sent it out so i, I should say maybe first so the the chorus is Jesus be near me, but it's a very, uh, it's a song told by a conflicted narrator who, if I'm understanding the lyrics correctly, it sort of sounds like someone who really does want to believe, Mm. but also truly doesn't think that they can. Um, I'm not sure I agree with them, that character, um, because I would say that maybe they do, because they are in fact crying out for Jesus to be near them. but I think that's a that's something that I often hear in, in my friends. I did not grow up particularly Christian or in a, well, I guess nominally Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it's interesting. It's interesting. It was hard for me to sing because it does almost sound overtly religious. But then I sent it to my friends and even my friends who can be a little close minded about religion sort of liked it. And I thought, well, if it's speaking to them, I'll give it a shot. Uh, but so that's one song where I. I feel like there are lots of um, Christian questions coming up or just human questions coming up. Uh, Iridescent, I think, is, for me, seems like a spiritual song. There are aspects of No Compass, No Map. Uh, This is another one. Uh, Ideas about, in that, in No Compass, No Map, uh, just about life not being a waste, even though it may seem like it is um and how that might how might that might work um it's a little arcane what i just mm-hmm. said but um <laughs> i said so that at, at the end of that song it's 
uh, I say saved for the next life in it, but it's not in the way that that's usually right. said. It's more just um, life ending early for mm-hmm. reasons that we, we can't really fathom and people sort of possibly destroying themselves. <laughs> it's it's vague, and I wanted it to be more poetic than, right. um, you know, more nuanced than when when that that phrase saved is or it, you know that mm-hmm. word is used um i i feel like i keep going back to your your last album as if that was that's, that, that's like the standard <laughs> by which everything else should be uh should be uh understood with your your music but um obviously your last album was about religious figures uh that have been incredibly important in the history of christianity do you find yourself being influenced by any other religious leaders and thinkers um, throughout Christian history with this particular album, even though it's, you know, the album is not necessarily about religious uh, leaders and, and Christian thinkers. Are, are there any, um, are there anybody that maybe you've been reading that uh, at the time of writing the album that sort of influenced you or um, maybe possibly influenced the album? Um, or were, maybe there were other band members who were reading other religious leaders at the time that seemed to have influenced their their uh, their piece in the in the album. Yeah, uh, I, I try to every day read a little bit of either theology or or scripture or both. Mm-hmm. With the last record, except for uh, Dorothy Day, Peter Marin, and, and Augustine, all of those people were. Uh, names I had heard of, or I had read just a, I had read just a little bit of Bonhoeffer beforehand, mm-hmm. and so it was me sort of diving in. I never knew about the Catonsville Nine or the Baltimore Four or oh wow any of those people until I was doing research for the album for this record. Uh, or I guess so. I guess what I'm saying is the what I'm reading always informs what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I, I love reading. Uh, with this one. Yeah, I, I always go back to Marilyn Robinson, although I know she probably wouldn't be considered a theologian mm-hmm. proper, but uh, she's an incredible writer. I wouldn't be a uh, committed Christian. I might not even be a, a Christian if it wasn't for her and her writing. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, William Stringfellow, I definitely count as one of my sort of spiritual parents. Uh, I just read a, a number of books by him, and I just, I love him because. In this moment, um, when you know it's very important that there's this progressive movement, and I'm I count myself as a progressive, um, but I feel like there's not really a theological undergirding to mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. at all, um, or it's very um, anemic, I guess I would say. And mm. and I, you know, I I agree wholeheartedly and, and try to participate to the best that I know how. But outside of you know, God loves us. Or, um, you know, we are made in God's image, which isn't usually brought up. There's really nothing there. <laughs> right. Uh, and with Stringfellow, it's incredible how it always comes back to politics, but it always is informed tremendously by, uh, by uh, Christian history. Hmm. Um, I don't mean to go into this too much, but I feel like there's a little bit of a sort of a self-righteousness that goes on now and, mm-hmm. and and at least what I read on Twitter and with leftists who sort of think that 
they were the first people who ever thought of this and everything, <laughs> yeah. everything before is very naive. And it's sort of been my understanding of history that we're going to be considered very naive very shortly. Mm. And we're going to be judged by the worst things that our contemporaries did. But anyway, um, so I love him and, and I love Marilyn Robinson. Uh, yeah, I read, I read Brueggemann a lot. I read, mm. uh, um, Raymond D. Brown a lot. Um, I, I like uh, sort of biblical theology. And, okay. Uh, I read blogs for pastors, which is strange because I <laughs> have a degree in musicology, but I read, you know, Working Preacher a lot and I listen to usually their podcasts. There's a couple theologians at, so that is uh, run by Luther Seminary. And so there's a couple professors there, Catherine Schiffer-Decker and Rolf Jacobson and Craig Kester that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, by the same token, a lot of what inspired the album, I think, was my reading of fiction. I, hmm. I can't tell you how much I, I love fiction, even when I'm writing, you know, seemingly nonfiction like The Last Record. Um, it, a lot of it's fictional. A lot of it comes from my experience. Um, I it always comes back to narrative and, and fiction for me, right. uh, which a lot of people, when I'm talking to, um, when we've played these shows, um, I don't know. I think right now, because the focus is so on um, ourselves and sort of confession, not confessional, uh, but uh, like mem we live in like a memoir culture. So mm -hmm. if like, if a songwriter writes a song and it's not about them, like that, it does not compute. People don't understand it. Mm -hmm. um, or they think it's not personal then. But yeah, I would say fiction is a huge influence on my writing. And I love, I love participating in it. There's nothing like creating characters. Right. That's awesome. Uh, so you just mentioned uh, earlier that you just finished up on a four-day tour. Any other possible tours out there that you're, you're thinking about um, to tour on this record? Um, any other projects in the works? Uh, I know that you just finished a record, but maybe there's other projects in the works as well. Um, but yeah, any tours and other projects that you're you're all working on? So we play fairly regularly, not usually night to night to night, but I was in Ohio a couple of weeks ago for a festival. Um, we had our early show in Philadelphia. We had these four days. In two weeks, we have three more shows uh, oh, back wow. to back to back. And then I'm not sure. What, what's I, there's at least one or two shows in the works, but we'll see. I'm not I'm not sure at this point. Yeah. Uh. So uh, last question here. What are ways that uh, listeners can gonna get connected with your work? Uh, Twitter, social media, Spotify, those sort of things. Sure. Yes to yes to all of those. Uh, if you go to our uh, website, which is just thechairmandances.com. Um, Sounds lame saying that, but there's a classical piece that I named the band after. So if you just go searching <laughs> for the chairman dances, you're going to find some good music, but it won't be music I wrote. Um, so, which, which is to say, which isn't to say you shouldn't listen to it. But uh, if you go to our <laughs> website, you can find, uh, you can be rerouted to Spotify and Bandcamp and uh, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, all that, all that jazz. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, to, for chatting with me. And uh, I, I really, do dig your music. Uh, I, I, I love any sort of music that really explicitly deals with a lot of like religious experience, um, not only of 
religious experience and the storytelling of religious leaders and thinkers that have been really important, but also like just in your own personal stories of making up sort of uh, fictional characters and in, in the religious experiences and and traumas that they may be experiencing. I, I, I always appreciate that. Uh, and, and so I, I really think that your music does that really well and in a, in a really engaging way. Uh, you're able to sort of combine the, 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 the verses uh, with a beautiful, beautiful music uh, accompaniment. So yeah, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Mason. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Looking at the state of the U.S., it's kind of hard for one to believe that a non-capitalist system would even be feasible. But it seems like you really have a lot of hope. So where do we go from here? What can we do as an individual to see this sort of capitalist world be dismantled? I think this, is, this one is actually a frustrating question for me as, um, as a worker. Because, you know, like I said, I, I work full time. I get home and I, I'm tired. I need some time to relax. Uh, and, you know, I've got other things that I'm working on to advance myself. So I, I don't have time to, uh, you know, go to protests and protest for workers' rights and go on strike. You know, uh, I don't have money to contribute to um, organizations that do these things that I don't have time to do uh, because I don't make enough. I barely make enough to pay my rent. So there, so coming from my position um, of someone who doesn't have time or money to really be invested in this stuff, I'd say uh, use your vote and vote for policies that will protect workers. Um, we have some great candidates coming up. Um, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and even, and you know, I'm in Texas, so Beto O'Rourke is getting a lot of buzz in the media right now, and like, uh, he's not a socialist by any stretch of the imagination, but he's a step um, toward helping people, and that's a step that I'm willing to take. Uh, so support candidates who will support people and, instead of corporations. Um, and otherwise, you know, for me, I I write. That's my avenue to kind of seize the means of production is just get the word out. So the best thing they, that people can do, uh, the next step is to read my book. <laughs> if you want to support, if you want to support a worker, and you know, stick it to the man, then read my book. <laughs> I'm not sure how familiar you are with Bonhoeffer's religionless Christianity that he wrote in the letters and papers from prison while he was imprisoned uh, for conspiring against Hitler. But based on maybe the little bit that you know about Bonhoeffer and his resistance against Nazism and authoritarianism, 
How do you understand the separation of church and estate to relate or speak into Bonhoeffer's religionless Christianity? Yeah, I, I mean, what little I know of Bonhoeffer is his, um, you know, the way that he worked against the established German Christian church, um, which was heavily aligning itself with Hitler, and um, and he saw the system itself um, supporting horrible things um, and exploitation. Now, um, we can, uh, you know, capitalism isn't Nazism, so there's that difference. Uh, but it is, I, I truly believe it is a bad thing, something that we should work against. Um, and our, and the American church writ large is in bed with capitalism. I mean, it's, it's in, it's so ingrained that we don't even know how to think of uh, anything other than, you know, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I made myself, you know, I made something of myself and, you know, when I see that person on the corner begging for money, they should do the same. And that's a capitalist mindset. It's not a Christ-like mindset. Um, and so just to draw an analogy, not to make an equation here, but, um, you know, Bonhoeffer was working against a church that had aligned itself with something wrong. Um, and and I think the Christian church in America has done much the same with capitalism. And I think it's time that we separate ourselves from that and call for something better. Last question. How can listeners get connected with you and your work? Yeah. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at Tyler Stanley. That's T-Y-L-O-R-S-T-A-N-D-L-E-Y. <laughs> yeah, you can follow me there. Uh, my I, I blog here and there on uh, our press's website. Like I said, the publishing house is actually an indie publishing house um, that uh, my friends and I started. Uh, so we we print books that that we have written and some others have written for us as well. Uh, I blog on there some. I also host co-host a podcast on early Christian history and theology called Podcastica Patristica, uh, and you can check us out on iTunes or Google Play or whatever podcast app you use. Well, Tyler, thank you for chatting with me. I know that your work has been really informative for me, and uh, yeah, I just want to thank you so much for your work and your time. Beside him, monochromatic Really, well I've seen her I hope that episode left you satisfied and fulfilled, so much so that you have no desire to ever listen to another podcast episode of any show ever again. If you would like to connect with both Tyler and the Chairman Dances and their work, you can find the links in the description below. Again, you can also connect to me through my website, masonmeniga.com. There you can find more of my work, including some articles and papers I write, other religionless church episodes, and ways to connect with me via social media. Also, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, if religionless church matters to you, support by giving a rating and review and by becoming a patron of my Patreon page. Thank you for listening to Religionless Church. I send you out with this. 
May the divine bless you with doubt and keep you disrupted. May the divine make the divine's face of infinitude shine upon you and show you graciousness to your own finitude. May the divine lift up the divine's countenance of justice upon you and give you whole unsatisfaction now and forever. So be it. To her shoulder, daughters, they will keep moving.